Hello, and welcome to another episode of Whole and Complete Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Shantae, and Whole and Complete is all about faith and wellness, loving God and living well. And by the time many of you hear this episode, y'all, we gonna have a whole new president. Ah, glory to God. Woo, I just, I need to acknowledge that because the psychic toll that this administration of hatred and division and gaslighting and just lie after lie after lie after lie, it really has taken its toll. It has really taken its toll mentally. It has fractured relationships. We are more divided as a nation than we have been since the Civil War. And I just want to take a moment to thank God for ushering in a new era of change in leadership. Now, you know, every politician has their, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm not a Democrat or a Republican. I I truly am an independent because this two-party system is problematic in so many ways. It's very polarizing. Just the very nature of it is polarizing. At the same time, I will say that President Biden is certainly talking the talk. He is saying the things that are necessary to try to bring this country closer together. I don't know that we were ever united, (laughs) uh, especially when you have issues of supremacy and racial hierarchy and all of those things. So, I mean, we have yet to be united as a country. At the same time, there is certainly some work to be done uh, with respect to bringing the temperature down and getting to a place of real change and calling these issues out on the table. And he isn't just talking the talk. He's also walking the walk. He has the most diverse cabinet in the history of the United States. So I'm just in a better place mentally because of that. And I hope that these next four years will be a time of healing and restoration and moving away from the divisive rhetoric that we have experienced these past four years. So I just had to say that. So having said that, don't forget, if you are still in need of some visualization and some coaching and some support to get yourself established for 2021, you can sign up for Onward and Onboard. I'm doing that the entire month of January. And this is a one-on-one coaching session with me where I am helping you get your vision established for the next three months. So what are the things that you want to accomplish in the next 90 days? Is it about your health? Is it about your finances? Is it about organization of your living space? Is it about doing the things that are necessary to move and relocate? And sometimes it's just hard to get a handle on those things and the the steps that we need to take in order to move forward in those endeavors on our own. And so if you are looking for support in that, head to readytobelieve.com and sign up for your own session onward and on board. I will be doing that for the rest of the month. Now, We are in the midst of a series, the Manifestation Series. And so if you are new to this podcast and you are hearing this for the very first time, I'm going to encourage you to press pause and go back to part one of this series because this is part two of the series. And so we are in the middle of the Manifestation Series. And as we are wont to do, we have a guiding scripture for this episode. And it comes from the book of James, James, the brother of Jesus James chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, and they read as follows. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? 
If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you faith by my works. So that is our guiding scripture and we will circle back to it towards the end of this episode. So today we are focusing on two sets of data, what I believe and the Mac story. Okay, so let's get into it. Two sets of data. So in episode one of this series, I talked about the law of attraction, the origins of manifestation and the fact that I don't believe in it. And I said that I will be presenting you with two sets of data, two sets of competing information, and you would be able to make a decision at the end of it about what you believe. So the law of attraction, to remind the audience, the law of attraction is the attractive magnetic power of the universe that manifests through everyone and through everything. It is part of the creative power of the universe. An excerpt from Success Consciousness, the website says, the law of attraction manifests through your thoughts. It draws you to thoughts and ideas of a similar kind. So that notion that like attracts like. People who think like you and situations and circumstances that you repeatedly think about. It is the law and power that brings into your life people that can help you with your plans. It is the power that can create the situations and circumstances you want. It is also the power that draws into your life the things you want and helps you achieve your dreams. It is the means to create the life you want. And I said very emphatically and unapologetically, I don't believe in that. I don't subscribe to that. And the law of attraction is spoken in absolutes, like the law of physics. So the law of physics, like gravity, what goes up must come down. It is spoken about in absolutes. And it basically supposes that if you think about something long and hard enough, eventually it will come to you. Okay. So that is one set of data. Okay. That is one piece of the data. So let me give you another piece of the data because we're talking about two sets of data here. John 15, one says, this is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine. In saying this, Jesus is saying that he is the true vine, that he is the truth. He knows that there are other winds of doctrine out there, but he is the true vine, that he is the truth. As a matter of fact, in the previous chapter, John 14, roundabout verse six, uh, he goes on record and he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And in making these declarations, he is acknowledging that there are other alternatives, that there are alternative ways that people subscribe to, that there are alternative truths that people subscribe to, that there are alternative facts. See what I did there? Uh, So he's acknowledging that, that in saying, I am the true vine, he's acknowledging that there are other vines out there, okay, that there are other competing doctrines out in these streets. And then he goes on to say, as we referenced last week in verses four and five, abide in me and I will abide in you. Just as no branch can bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So this begs the question, does it not? What is the fruit? 
Okay, he says, if you abide in me and, and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. So the person who does that will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you cannot. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so this begs the question, what is the fruit, right? If, if you're going to bear much fruit, what's the fruit? Well, the law of attraction would have you believe that the fruit is substantive and material, that it's houses and cars and money and influence and power. But that is not what Jesus is referring to. He's not even referring to how many people you brought to church or how many Sundays you came to church or how much you put in the offering tray, because you can do all of those things and still not be abiding in Christ. And he makes this point in Matthew uh, chapter seven, verses 21 and 23. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord. Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So that really makes you kind of pull up short, say, well, okay, if it's not about doing all the things, right? Ticking all the boxes and going to church every Sunday and, and recruiting people and proselytizing and evangelizing, then what is the fruit? Well, I will tell you what the fruit is. It is the fruit of the spirit, which you can find in Galatians chapter five, verses 22 and 23. And they say thus, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, that is forgiveness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So it's kind of like, uh, you know how you have like some of these diets, well, or, or eating programs. So right now I'm on an eating program where every day I have to hit a certain amount of protein macros and a certain amount of carbs and a certain amount of, of fats, right? And the things that you can have in abundance, you know, are leafy greens, right? They say, hey, girl, you can eat kale till the cows come home. Ain't no ain't no laws on kale because they know after a while you didn't hit your limit on the kale. You're like, OK, enough already. Right. He says these things, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, all those good things. He says there is no law. You can do that to your heart's content. Jesus is saying, if you abide in me, that is dwell with me spend time with me, stay tethered to me, you will bear much fruit because apart from me, left to your own devices and your own selfish ambitions and your sinful nature, you will not be able to produce the fruits of the spirit because it is not within us naturally. We are not naturally inclined to love okay and love means seeking the highest good for other people love is not selfish the bible literally says that love is not selfish and so you're not thinking about yourself first when jesus reduced the commandments down to two commandments he said love god and love other people so there was a reduction and it didn't include you it didn't say and love yourself he didn't have to tell you to love yourself because that's that's a given. We are selfish creatures by nature. So he's saying that if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will be able to produce the fruits of the spirit, which more times than not will allow you to love God 
and love other people, which is is the will of God. But the law of attraction, don't get me wrong, it is a tempting nugget, okay? It is a tempting nugget because it is rooted in personal prosperity and economic success, temporary satisfaction, things that you cannot take with you into eternity. Whereas Jesus is always concerned about the things that you say and the things that you do that have spiritual implications. He's concerned about your spiritual bottom line, not necessarily your financial one. Even though he's not hating on you, I mean, you know, get your money, get your money, black man, get your money. This is America, right? I'm not so, hey, no shade is being thrown, but I'm saying that's not where his focus is, okay? That is not where Jesus is most concerned He's not concerned mostly about the kind of car that you drive or the kind of house that you live in. He doesn't place any sort of special emphasis on those things. In fact, the Bible says that foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man don't have a place to lay his head. So that he wasn't really caught up in the material hype. He was always concerned about where and how and the things that you were going to do that were going to impact eternity. Another set of data from the law of attraction, and I read this last week, says that you are God in a physical body. You are spirit in the flesh. You are eternal life expressing itself as you. You are a cosmic being. You are all power. You are all wisdom. You are all intelligent. You are perfection. You are magnificent. You are the creator, and you are creating the creation of you on this planet. Now, if I didn't know where this came from, I would think that these words were referring to God, but they're not referring to God. They're referring to you as a person, as an individual. And so that is another set of the data. So that's a part of the data that is underneath the category of the law of attraction. So let me give you another set of data out of the scripture. Psalms 24, one through two says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That means the earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. For he laid its foundation on the seas and established it on the rivers. Genesis 1, one, I read this to you last week. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John 1.3 says, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So the law of attraction and manifestation is really gassing up their believers in this doctrine. It says, hey, you are all powerful. You are part of the universe. You are all wisdom. You are perfection. You are magnificent. You are perfection. You are magnificent. If we were perfection, Jesus would not have had to come. If we were perfection, Jesus' sacrifice is completely in vain. The only person that ever walked the face of this earth that was perfect is Jesus. So to give these attributes to man is blasphemy, like to the highest degree. I mean, it just, it, it leaps off the page. When I told you that my spirit just kind of churned within me, when I started to dig into the origins of this, I was like, oh no, oh no, this is so antithetical to what the word of God says. We are not God. We are not God. And the law of attraction in many ways is rooted in blasphemy. It just is. We are not God. We did not create ourselves. Psalms 103 says, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. 
Deuteronomy 6, 13 through 15. And I know I'm hitting you with a lot of scriptures, but that's the thing. People will come at you with all kinds of things and you can't stand on a doctrine. You can't preach a gospel that you don't know. Okay. So in the same way that they are rooted in what they believe, I believe that you have to be rooted in what you believe. And this is what I believe. So I'm not trying to like just pelt you with scriptures. I'm just bringing my set of the data. Deuteronomy 6, 13 through 15 says, fear the Lord, your God, serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow, that is, do not go after, do not chase, do not pursue other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord, your God, who is among you, is a jealous God. That's a word. And I felt that in my back. He said, don't let these people pull you off the path. Don't let the God's little G of the people around you Pull your focus away from the God, Big G, who is among you. What you are looking for, what you're hoping to acquire, attract, you already have. You already have. What is there but God? God is not a source. He's not an option. He is the source, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. Without him was not anything made that was made. That guy who formed the mountains and the rivers and the oceans and separated day from night, that God, big G, is among you, with you, Emmanuel, okay? So the God that is among you, that dwells with you, he says here in Deuteronomy, don't go chasing after the ones over there, little G, that can't do anything for you. You need to stick with the God that is here among you and with you. And I give the children of Israel a hard time. I do. I call them the original baby's kids, but their lives are a cautionary tale about what not to do. Every single time, and I do mean every single time, the children of Israel went chasing after other gods, after a shiny new object, right? They ended up in bondage. Every single time, like clockwork, it was a predictable pattern of cause and effect. And the law of attraction is another God, little g. It is a doctrine that has set itself up in complete opposition to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Listen. God is not willing or capable of sharing your heart with other gods, little G's. He's not built that way. He has zero interest in that. He wants exclusivity. He doesn't want to be an option on the buffet. He is the buffet. He is the bread of life. Isaiah 45, 5 and 6 says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Period. Ain't no speculation about that. Ain't no uh, ambiguity about that. It's not vague. It says what it says. Insert that that gift from Nene Leakes where she says, I said what I said. He said what he said. He said, I'm it. And there is no other. Period. That's all. Even though you won't acknowledge me, I will continue to show up for you so that people will know that from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, that there is no other God 
but the God of Israel, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Put some respect on my name, okay? That is what he is saying here. And then the last scripture that I referenced last week was Romans. So this is Paul, Brother Paul, uh, Romans 20 through 25. And verse 22 says, Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory and majesty and excellence of the immortal God, the God from Isaiah that I just talked to you about, for an image worthless idols in the shape of mortal man and birds and four-footed animals and reptiles full stop do you know how many people and i must say this i must say this i was listening to a sermon thank you kenneth edward copeland on sunday he preached at my church at progressive and he said that many of trump's supporters traded in the prince of peace for a petty politician those were his exact words here Paul is saying, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And how did they become fools? Because they exchanged the glory and majesty and excellence of the immortal God, that same God that raised Jesus from the dead, that same God that created the heavens and the earth. They traded him in for what the Bible says, for what Paul says. It says they traded him in for mortal man, for mortal man. And for a lot of people, that's Trump. For some of you, it might be some other, some other boo. Okay. Somebody else that you didn't trade it in. Uh, you might be overly dependent on the pulpit. Okay. Too, too, too passionate about the preacher instead of the God who sent the preacher. Okay. But that, ooh, mm, that's another sermon. That's another episode series altogether. It says that you traded him in for birds and four-footed animals and reptiles because in this time there was a lot of mythological greek mythological worship okay so a lot of the romans in that first century church in, in that area were polytheistic they believed in many gods so zeus and hera and um gods of the sea and, and gods hades they believed in all of that okay so in the beginning of this chapter Paul calls himself a servant of Christ. So in Romans like chapter one, one, he's like, hey, I'm out here doing the Lord's business is what I'm doing. So he's preaching and teaching in Rome and he's doing so as an ambassador in chains. Rome was very hostile to early Christian converts. They believed, like I said, the Greek mythology, they were polytheistic. They worshiped shrines and talismans and animals. And Paul is on trial here, pleading his case to the Roman emperor. And he's making some important points that I want to highlight here. Number one, He's saying, if you've never heard the gospel of Christ, if you never heard the good news, God has made himself evident in the meticulous composition of nature, the way that the sun rises and sets and the seasons changing as they do. God, only God could have made that possible. So he has manifest himself in nature. He also says that there is a lot of philosophizing and pontificating about the meaning of life and who is truly God. And Paul says, this is pointless. He said, all of these philosophers, the Ocrates and Asaphis, he said, it is pointless. It is pointless to argue with people who just want to hear themselves speak. He says that in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes that God took the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So he says for all of their wisdom and their knowledge, they decided 
that it made more sense to worship men and animals and idols than the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he says something very key, and this is important. He says that God gave them over, that he gave them over to that train of thought. He, he, let, them, he let them go. He said, hey, do you. <laughs> um, God is never going to impose his will on you. And he says, if that's what you want to believe in vibrations from the universe and you want to prioritize the universe over the one who made the universe, God is not going to strike you down. He will let you ride that train to its destination. And whatever you decide, you will have to give an account of it. Matthew 12, 36 says, but I tell you that men will give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken for by your words, you will be acquitted and by your words, you will be condemned. So at some point you will have that come to Jesus meeting and you can plead your case. You can say, Hey, this is why I believed in those things. Okay. And mind you, my podcast is for believers. It's for believers, meaning that at some point you have already made a confession and in, in your heart, you believe that Jesus is the true and living, the one and only begotten son of God. And so for believers, Paul is saying these competing data sets, these competing messages, you are going to have to make some decisions about where you stand with that. Which brings me to what I believe. So last week, I did not tell you what I believe, but I will tell you now. I believe in James chapter two, verses 14 through 18. What good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, but does not have works? Can such faith save him? And then you drop down to verse 17. It says in the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you faith by my works. So what do I believe in? I believe in faith and works. When people in general are talking about manifesting, they're talking about a process where a thought or an idea becomes a tangible reality, right? And for me, from a biblical perspective, the evidence that they believe that that thought or that idea can become a reality is in their works, is in the things that they do that demonstrates their belief in that thought, that idea, that concept, right? So manifesting biblically, quote unquote, is not some wish I may, wish I might type of stuff, okay? It is a belief in the power of Christ, in the power of Christ to bring about an outcome that is supported then by human action and effort unless otherwise specified. What do you mean unless otherwise specified? I'm gonna get to that. So here are the examples that I'd like to use. Luke, 8, 42 through 45. Yes, I will put all of these scriptures in the show notes. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And then there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him and declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had immediately been healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith 
has made you well. Go in peace. So she heard that Jesus was coming to town. She believed by faith that he had the power to do something about her situation. And she evidenced that faith by pressing her way in the crowds, in being unclean and, and the blood and all of that so that she could just touch the hem of his garment. It was a belief that was evidenced by her actions. Then there's Joshua chapter one. And I'm skipping around here because it's a long chapter. Okay, so I'll just take these few verses. Uh, Verse one says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses's aide, my servant Moses is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Verse six, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Verse 10, so Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Verses 16 and 17, then they answered Joshua, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so will we obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. God said, it's time to move. It's time to do something. It's time to make good on this promise that I made a long, long time ago. So it's time to to do it. It's time to get in action. Joshua had a choice. Was he going to obey that? Was he going to believe that? Or was he not going to believe that? He chose to believe. And the evidence of his belief was that he galvanized his people. And the evidence of their belief in him was that they galvanized themselves and said, Joshua, we rolling with you and we pray that you rolling with the Lord. And second Chronicles, Jehoshaphat. Woo. This story gives me chills. Y'all know how I feel about the Old Testament. So just, yeah, it's good stuff. But Jehoshaphat's story can be found in second Chronicles chapter 20. And so I'm going to read these verses in your hearing, starting with the 12th verse. Let me set this up. They're under attack. They're about to get ambushed by a bunch of the ites. So it's like the Moabites, the Ammonites, like in a bunch of ites that I can't pronounce, but like they are about to gang up on the, the, the children of Judah and Jehoshaphat in verse 12 is crying out to God. He says, Oh Lord, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do but our eyes are on you. Verse 13. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of this assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours, but God's tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Z's. You will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jerel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. So let me 
man, I wish I had time and I'm already past 30 minutes and y'all know I try to keep it in the pocket. But listen, Chiron, Jehoshaphat said, I am the king. Okay, I'm the king of this great nation that you have have given to me and blessed and bestowed upon me. And I am powerless. Okay, so we're talking about humility here. I am powerless. Even as the most powerful man in the nation, I am powerless against all of these people that are going to be coming against us. He said, Lord, we don't know what to do, but we're going to look to you. And so we're going to trust in you and not just me, the children and the wives and the babies and the men and the women, they, they, they stood looking to God for help, for assistance, for, for something. And then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, and said, here is what God is saying to you. So remember earlier when I said, unless otherwise specified, this is one of those otherwise specified. So they looked to God, they believed in God, and their evidence was in their standing and looking The word of the Lord came to a prophet that said to them, listen, here's what's going to happen. You don't have to fight, but you will have to show up. You will have to stand firm. You are going to go out tomorrow. You're going to meet them. Okay. You're not going to be scared in your homes, but you're going to show up and you're going to meet them. And I want you to read the rest of that story because they had a choice to make too. They said, yeah, that sounds good. But if it's going to be all like that, then can't all that just happen while we in our crib safe in the in the joint? No, you still have to show up. I believe in faith and works. Okay, so what I believe is that when God is going to bring something into your life, one, he will send word ahead of time. Even the woman with the issue of blood received word that Jesus was coming to town. And the Bible says that Jesus was the word made flesh. Number two, you have a choice whether or not you're going to believe the word that was sent to you. And then three, if you choose to believe, your belief will be evidenced by what you do, by your works. Which brings me to the Mac story. So I made a decision way back in July to do this series on manifestation. And so it is just now coming to you in your hearing. But back in July, I decided that I needed to relaunch my YouTube channel And in order to do that, I decided that I needed a dedicated machine for that, a a Mac, a new Mac, because video files are huge. And if you use your dedicated work computer to also process those video files, then your work computer starts to process slowly. And it's just, it's so much. And so I decided that I was going to need a dedicated machine in order to process the videos that were necessary to facilitate that channel. And at the time, so I'm going on my daily walks and at the time I'm listening to this book, You Are a Badass at Making Money by Jen Sincero, because I I didn't know what it was about. So I'm just listening to it because I, if you are on my email list, I talk about how I went through this process of healing my relationship with money. So this is part of the process, right? You know, I'm picking out literature and I read a range of things and the book essentially is all about manifesting. This woman is all about that law of attraction. And here's what here's what pricked me though. Here's what pricked my spirit. This woman was so strong in her conviction in the power of the universe that it made me as a Christian question, why didn't I have that same level of strong conviction of faith in God? I said, these people out here believing in the universe, putting Christians to shame. They got the the kind of faith that would put us to shame. And I said, why haven't I believed in God this strongly? And 
I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to up my faith game. Here's what I'm going to do. I said, Lord, I know that this is a gift that you have given me. I know that this is the work that you have called me to do. And I need a dedicated machine in order to do it. And so I went to Apple and I priced it out with all the bells and whistles. And it came to a few thousand dollars. And I started to pray. I started to pray on this so strongly and so convictedly, like so convincingly, I started to pray about the money that was necessary to to produce this machine. So much so that like, I knew it was going to come to fruition. Like I knew it, like literally God dropped in my spirit. He said, I hear you. I, I, I got it. It's coming. And to the point where I could literally feel the mouse in my hands, I I could see it so clearly. And so now I'm just looking around. I'm like, okay, where does money come from? Is somebody about to call me? Is a a rich uncle? Like what, where, what's, how's going to, what is going to happen? And I started to make phone calls. So now I'm, I'm in action, right? So I said, you know what? Let me start calling around to some people that I know in IT, because sometimes their purchasing agreements with institutions and Apple are at a much better discount than like my educator discount. And as I'm calling around to my colleagues and friends in IT, I called one of my clients and he asked me for the specs of the Mac that I had priced out. And he said, okay, cool. I'm going to call my rep. So he calls his rep. And when he got back to me, he said that the specs that I had given him would not be sufficient to do the kind of work that I was looking to do with the YouTube channel and the video files. And he said, you know, plus new Macs are going to be coming out soon. So honestly, it would be better to wait unless, and I said, unless what? Turns out he had a Mac mini. So a Mac mini is basically a Mac computer that is, that comes without the monitor and and all the keyboard and all those things. It is literally the computer itself. And it's no bigger than a salad plate. It's actually kind of fascinating. It's the smallest computer besides like your cell phone, but it's a fully functional Mac, right? And he said that he had it. He, it was still in the box. Matter of fact, he had three of them. And the one that he had had better specs in terms of memory and RAM and processing than the one that I had chosen. And he offered it to me free of charge. And when I went to pick it up, not only was it still in the box, but he gave me a 24 inch monitor, a brand new Apple keyboard, a brand new external hard drive, like all the bells and the whistles. And it came out to like a couple thousand dollars worth of stuff. And I'm like, okay, so what I owe you? He was like, nah, you got it free of charge. Don't don't worry. Don't sweat it. Just use it, you know, to do the things that God has called you to do. So and and all of this happened in three days for the record. So from the time that I got convicted about my faith, about why I didn't believe in God as strongly as some of these people are believing in the universe to the time I started praying and I said, OK, Lord, I'm I'm focused. I, I And he dropped in my spirit that it was coming and I'm looking for the money. <laughs> He provided the machine, the machinery free of charge. And so I got well over $2,000 worth of equipment, a new Mac, 24 inch monitor, the wireless Mac keyboard preloaded with all the software that I needed to do all the things that I needed to do for nothing free of charge. I'm looking at it right now as I podcast this podcast to you. And I said, you know what? (laughs) I see you, Lord. I see you right there. So no, I didn't vibe out to the universe. I said, 
let me up my faith game. What did Jesus say to the woman with the issue of blood? He said, your faith has made you well. And I will say this to you, believers, when you pray with conviction, with conviction, not about no huckabuck, not about no shuck and jive, because we've had this conversation about the will of God, right? The things that you ask in the will of God. What is the purpose of my YouTube channel? So I can get rich to get hmm, from your lips to God's ear. Like, when is that going to happen? Okay, no, it it is always in service to others. Why do I podcast in service to others? If you see me in front of a camera or on a microphone, nine times out of 10, it is in service to others. It is a demonstration of my love for God and obedience to God and my love for people. Because to get up here and produce content consistently, free of charge, I'm going to tell you something. It ain't nobody but Jesus because left to my own selfish devices, I would be off somewhere kicking it, chilling, doing other things. But I chose this. I chose to yield to the spirit of God and God responds to obedience. God responds to faith. So what is my, my stance on manifestation? I believe in faith and I believe in works. I had faith and I got to work and God brought about that thing without me having to spend a dime out of my pocket. And that's the thing. It won't always come the way that you think it's going to come. You know, God will do you one better. Okay. He will always outdo exceedingly and abundantly above what you can ask or think. So that is it. And we are going to wrap up this series with a powerhouse from the South. Y'all know I don't bring men on this program very often. So I think he'll be like the third one. Pastor Terrence Chandler Harrison out of Tennessee. He is a powerhouse of a preacher. He's a Morehouse man, a teacher of the word who is going to rightly divide the word for us on this topic. So I cannot wait for you to hear that interview between us and for you to hear from him. And don't forget, if you need some clarity, some direction, if you need to set your focus about what you are going to be working on for the next 90 days and you need some structure and support in that, readytobelieve.com, sign up for Onward and Onboard, and I will see you next time.